Hi, Abdullah. Kifak. Hey, I'm good, B. How's it going? Good, good. Uh, look, I, <laughs> I know I'm cold calling you, but uh, uh, can you can you chat for a few minutes on on uh, for status for our quick thoughts uh, segment? I know it's probably late. We can do this tomorrow uh, if you can't uh, chat. Uh, no, that's fine. But do you mind giving me a minute? Okay, should I call you in a, in a bit? Yeah, just give me like two minutes. Okay, okay excellent. I'll call you back. <laughs> All right, thanks. Hi, Abdullah. Hey. Kifak, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so um, uh, just to cut to the chase, what the hell is going on in your neck of the woods? You're in uh, Doha now, right? I am, yeah. Uh, can you speak freely or semi-freely? I can speak totally freely. Excellent. Tayyib, what the hell is going on? Well, we woke up here on uh, Monday me? morning. Can you yeah, hear I can hear you. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, one second. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so on uh, on Monday, we woke up this week to the news that uh, that Qatar had been uh, essentially cut off from the rest of its GCC neighbors, uh, Saudi Arabia and, uh, and the United Arab Emirates basically decided to withdraw their ambassadors and completely cut off ties. They were joined, of course, by Bahrain and, uh, and Egypt. Later in the day, we heard that the Maldives had joined uh, in the fight, um, along with a number of other kind of small countries that, that over the next few days had sort of decided to... to uh, join in this isolation of Qatar. Um, you know, the the idea was that this was a, a very aggressive attempt to try to shift Qatar's policy on a number of you know important sort of regional issues. Uh, basically, trying to alter Qatar's foreign policy. There was some talk that it could even be an attempt for regime change in Qatar on the basis of you know disagreements with the the leadership here. Um, and since then, you know, we've heard at least uh, locally that uh, that the, the Qatari government uh, has no intentions to alter its foreign policy and is not going to respond favorably to, to any of these sort of aggressive moves uh, on the part of its neighbors. Wow. Okay. Well, um, Tayyib, without getting into, I mean, I guess we can we can get into some detail. Uh, so so if, if somebody's watching this, somebody who is not necessarily reading all the news about Qatar and Saudi Arabia, uh, they don't get the impression that this is actually what is happening right now and the severity of it is actually uh, possible despite the skirmishes, despite the, you know, uh, disagreements on the role of the Muslim Brotherhood vis-a-vis -vis or versus Sisi and so on. But um, on the question of Syria, there seems to be some sort of uh, overlap uh, on the question of, uh, uh, you know, the idea that... Uh, quote-unquote revolution is actually something that you know should stay uh, far away uh, which is something we we saw uh, unfold in Bahrain in terms of uh, neighboring states uh, viewpoints on what happened in the Bahraini uprising and and how it was uh, squashed and so on so how do we explain to a person uh, uh, who is uh, you know mildly watching the news and uh, looking at what's happening, how do you explain to them uh, uh, the severity of this and how did it actually happen? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a really important question because I think on the surface, when one examines the GCC countries, you definitely see a certain degree of uniformity on, you know, again, on the surface in terms of, you know, they all sort of come from similar, uh, you know, historical background. Um, they're similar types of government, similar in terms of their socioeconomic place and their place in the region. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that, you know, would not to the naked eye at least seem very different. Um, and even in terms of their regional policies, you, one could look at a lot of things in terms of, you know, their relationship with the United States, both historically and even recently. Um, and so there's there's not much reason to assume that there would be this level, this severity of conflict uh, especially even on the question of Iran, for instance, uh, and then, of course, all of those issues that you mentioned with Syria, with Yemen, with Bahrain, um, that Qatar has more or less been sort of in the same camp uh, with the other kind of regional powers with, led by Saudi. Um, and so why is there a conflict and why is it this severe? I think it's because of the other issues, the ones that perhaps we don't examine as closely or we don't really talk about as much. Um, I think a lot of this, there, there are historical roots here. The first, you know, real major break, I think, um, in addition to the kind of historical rivalry between the Al-Thani family and, of course, the Saudis, who have always sort of taken it upon themselves to act as the kind of, uh, you know, as, as the hegemon in, in the Gulf region, going back to the foundations of the GCC um, into the 1980s and 90s. You see that Saudi believed simply that they were entrusted with determining the fate uh, in the collective foreign policy of these countries. And it was only in the mid-1990s that under uh, the father of the current emir that Qatar kind of decided to go rogue, so to speak, that it wanted to start sort of charting out for itself a completely independent path to the extent that it could, still within the kind of constraints that we all know exist. Um, and it attempted to do that. I think the, one of the first steps of that was the, was the founding and launching of a jazeera as a as the first real attempt at something approaching an independent, uh, you know, international news network. Again, within the, the kind of constraints um, that it could, it still attempted to cover things in a way that was really unprecedented in the Arab world, giving kind of voice to a lot of uh, previously suppressed mo movements and and you know intellectual trends and even just you could say ordinary people. Um, you know, and this was in a way to try to challenge the kind of dominant narrative that had been established by sort of official states, uh, news outlets. Um, and then beyond that, of course, we see them taking on uh, a more cozier relationship with a number of those opposition movements, the Muslim Brotherhood, its offshoots, but even kind of secular, uh, you know, leftist intellectuals, thinkers. Um, one, of course, thinks of, thinks of Azmi Pshara, whose name has come up a lot in recent days. Um, in the kind of, uh, you know, foundation, uh, foundational uh, institutions that he's built here. Um, and, and to a large extent, Qatar, I think, survived on the basis of uh, a kind of rebranding and becoming more known as, a, as an international and regional player. Um, I think the move of the U.S. base uh, after 9-11 from Saudi Arabia to Qatar was seen as a way to kind of also do, you know, the sort of you know, the second half of that equation is to also kind of out Saudi the Saudis, so to speak, in which, um, you know, the Qatari regime wanted as well to maintain those kinds of relationships with the U.S., with some of its allies. Uh, we know that there was also efforts at normalization. The Israelis opened a trade office at one point here um, in Qatar. So there there was certainly an attempt to kind of also maintain that same kind of uh, posture 
um, and do it perhaps even more explicitly than, than the Saudis had done. We know, of course, that the Iraq war was launched from the military base here. Um, and so in many ways, it was an attempt to kind of play to a number of sides. We've also seen them kind of replace Saudi in a lot of ways as a, uh, you know, as a regional kind of arbiter of conflicts. We've, you know, you could walk into the Sheraton Hotel here, um, you know, back in the early and mid 2000s, and you'd see the Lebanese factions, you'd see the Sudanese factions, you'd see the Palestinian factions, and they're all sort of hanging out in the lobby and, and being hosted and entertained um, by the Qatari government in order to kind of resolve their issues. At one point, the Taliban, even with the blessing of the U.S. base just down the road, had, had their own office here as well as a means of trying to kind of you know, negotiate some sort of a settlement for the situation in Afghanistan. So we know that, that Qatar has tried to kind of branch out and sort of go out on a limb away from the kind of uh, hegemonic Saudi official policy. And that policy has sort of come back to haunt them over the last uh, five years or so. Wow. Um, okay. Well, thank you for um, the clarification. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, smiling because um, I'm getting a lot more than 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 uh, I thought you'd be ready to to provide at at an eight hour like this. But can I can I push further? Sure. Yeah. This is again for uh, status uh, al wada. Uh, with us is uh, Professor Abdullah Alian. Uh, Alian or Alian? Alian. I really should know more uh, because uh, <laughs> a friend of ours who's Yemeni uh, keeps yelling mm -hmm. at me for saying Alian. It's Alian. Mm. Okay. Uh, or Aliani. Tayyib uh, Abdullah, uh, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, in, in quick mode, how does uh, Qatar's posture towards uh, several of the issues in the region differ from other GCC uh, member countries? Uh, so this is something that, again, a lot of people would be wondering about uh, in, in more specific terms. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good question. I mean, on the surface, it definitely seems like there's a lot more uniformity in policies and on things like we said earlier, like on Syria or on Yemen or Iran. Um, but I think even within those, there's still a degree of competition, right? So someone could, could point to the competition in terms of the patronage of the various, uh, you know, rebel groups within Syria and them trying to kind of play the Saudis and, and Qataris off one another. There was a lot of reporting that was being done on that in sort of 2014, 2015. Um, I think some of that has been toned down more recently. Um, but there was certainly at, at the height of the, the conflict in Syria, there was uh, a lot more competition, even though they were all technically on the same side and opposing the Syrian regime. But each one, of course, was jockeying for greater influence in the supposed, you know, post-Assad uh, settlement. And I think that that in many ways mirrors um, things that we've already seen sort of in Yemen and in Libya, specifically both both places that are suffering from civil conflict in which, you know, post-Qaddafi Libya had basically turned into a place where Gulf money and weapons and influence was being peddled by the different regimes, despite the fact that they were all technically on the same side at one point. Uh, in you know being huge uh, supporters and cheerleaders for the NATO intervention in Libya, um, and so at this point I think that that's that's you know in many ways responsible for on the one hand you see the Saudi and Emirati push for Haftar, uh, the sort of military strongman to kind of impose yet another kind of military dictatorship in in Libya, um, and when you 
turn to other issues, I think you see a far greater divide. And in particular, I'm thinking of Egypt. I mean, Egypt was supported uh, by Qatar uh, during the height of its of its uprising and its attempt to kind of transition to something like a democracy. Um, of course, that never truly materialized. It was a process that was dominated in large part by the Muslim Brotherhood. I think the Qataris, on the one hand, because they'd maintained a relationship previously um, with the sort of leading opposition movement, and they saw them as also the best organized force uh, that could potentially uh, reap huge uh, gains from the electoral, you know, the, the kind of transition to some kind, something like an electoral uh, democracy. Um, that they they put all of their backing behind it. And at the same time, I think it was quite clear very early on that uh, the Saudi-Emirati bloc and, you know, and soon to be joined, of course, by Israel and its own sort of lobbying apparatus wanted to completely undermine uh, the Egyptian uprising and uh, in many ways was plotting a counter-revolution from the very early days of that transition, was already kind of, you know, putting its resources very strongly behind you know, Ahmed Shafi at one point when that didn't work out, eventually from within the ranks of the military, within certain disaffected voices, within even the uh, revolutionary movement itself, as we saw, I think, with all of the revelations with Tamarrod and, and the kind of foreign sponsorship that it had received, um, that the coup and the counter-revolution was very, very heavily subsidized by um, this kind of Saudi-Emirati bloc. And uh, in many ways, I think you see that, that Qatar was kind of on the losing end of that. And in 2014, so a year after Sisi had basically come to power and attempted to consolidate his authority in Egypt, uh, you saw uh, you know, a major confrontation that's very similar to this one. I mean, the, the current confrontation has, has kind of escalated far more quickly than the one in 2014. We can talk about the reasons why that is. Um, but I think during that time, one of the main pet peeves was the fact that uh, the Qataris were allowing for a live feed from Al Jazeera to basically have a 24th attack. Uh, Abdullah, your, your voice cut, sure. out, cut out for a second. Please, please uh, repeat. If you okay. Sorry about that. Sure. Yeah, no, I was just saying that in, in the aftermath of, uh, you know, the the rise of the Sisi regime and his attempts over that first year to consolidate his control. Of course, he was getting tens of billions of dollars uh, in, in aid and support from both the Saudis and the Emiratis, that one of the pet peeves that authority in the side of that effort to consolidate was, was a Jazeera pumping out 24-7, uh, you know, nonstop anti-coup coverage on its Al Jazeera Mubashir Misr uh, live feed. And that was the kind of leading demand in 2014 from the Saudis and Emiratis to basically shut down that network, which the Qataris eventually obliged and did. They also expelled a number of Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood leaders who were residing in Doha at the time. Um, and so we see that, at, at least on that issue, there was clearly severe uh, disagreement. And, and it's continued in a way because those same guests that used to appear on Al Jazeera Mubashir Misr simply migrated and now they appear um, somewhat regularly on a Jazeera's regular Arabic channel. So a lot of those changes were seen as being largely cosmetic. Um, and then I think on the issue of Palestine, it's it's really important to note the difference that there has been tremendous uh, evidence, at least that we've seen, that the Saudi-Emirati kind of bloc um, is very aggressively attempting to normalize its relationship with Israel. Um, it has worked in very close concert with the, the most uh, right-wing and hawkish wings of the pro-Israel lobby in Washington and, and many of their think tanks. All of that has been exposed uh, you know, over the past year or so. 
Um, and I think that in that, uh, the anti-Qatar kind of campaign in Washington um, is largely a coordination of the efforts of all three of those lobbies, uh, in large part because Qatar is also seen as taking a different line on uh, the Palestinian issue. That, you know, yes, they've tried to mediate between the elements of the Palestinian Authority and, and Hamas, but obviously uh, Hamas's political bureau has been hosted here for some time. Um, you know, a lot of the Gaza reconstruction efforts were paid for by, by uh, the Qatari government as well as Qatari private, you know, citizens. Um, so there is a sense that, that Qatar has sympathized and has sort of, you know, given weight to Hamas's position in this kind of back and forth uh, attempts, you know, to, to form some kind of a Palestinian unity government. And I think that, you know, perhaps there's a sense that there's a window um, in the next kind of few years through which Israel can kind of consolidate some of its gains in the West Bank um, and, uh, and and even normalize and sort of without consequence be able to normalize with some Arab states. And I think that Qatar is seen as a, uh, as a major obstacle to that. Thank you, uh, Abdullah. This is actually, you know, more, I mean, a lot more than I thought this would be uh, as a quick thought segment. It's not actually so quick, but it's really uh, <laughs> great to hear from you. I have um, a couple of uh, uh, quick uh, questions. Uh, can I can I ask you? I'm, I'm pushing the envelope here because uh, this is turning out to be uh, uh, a really uh, insightful uh, conversation. Is that okay? Sure, I'm already up, so okay. let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll increase the uh, the payment from uh, zero to uh, three times zero. Tayyip, right. uh, uh, how do you uh, explain uh, if you want to look at the timing of the escalation and and Farid uh, Marayani? What are some of the uh, implications of uh, of what's going on now uh, in in brief form as well for for the uh, regional conflicts at hand? I mean, is there are we are we to see some serious changes uh, anywhere, uh, given this is happening at at a at a particular moment? Are we back? Yeah. Uh, can you hear me? I don't I don't know what happened, and I'll I'll reserve all <laughs> conspiracies. Abdullah. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, I don't know what happened uh, either. Yeah, uh, I said I'll I'll reserve all conspiracy theories, but uh, I have no idea what happened. Did somebody knock on your door? No, I was I was just about to talk about how you know Trump is responsible for this, but uh, it, I was yeah, prevented. And I forgot the Syrian مخابرات. okay, this is uh, this is uh, interesting. So I was saying I don't know if you heard my question uh, about uh, the timing of the. How do you explain the timing mm -hmm. of? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of uh, the timing, you know, it seems to be very much related to um, not just Trump's election, I think, as, as kind of uh, giving a green light to a lot of um, different actors in the region to kind of either escalate or take advantage of the kind of domestic disarray that, that the U.S. Uh, political system and perhaps even just the just the unpredictability of this president to be able to settle their scores, to be able to pursue more adventurous and you know reckless policies that would not have been possible. I mean, again, going back to 2014, a similar confrontation and you know happened, but it happened in a in a far more restrained way, 
I mean, not to you know completely heap praise on the Obama administration, which of course we know is is not necessarily a stabilizing force in the region, to put it mildly. But I think at least in this internal regional Gulf conflict, was certainly not interested in seeing a destructive uh, confrontation between GCC allies that it relies on to to kind of be on the same page on many of the issues that we already discussed. Uh, and and so essentially what we had especially following the Riyadh summit. I mean, you know, this this escalation uh, happened probably within hours of Trump's leaving Riyadh and, you know, touching the glowing orb and get, you know, giving its magical powers perhaps to uh, to some of the the leaders who were then going to embark on this this really kind of uh, adventurous policy by by confronting uh, their ally. Uh, so what I think, you know, we see an attempt to to try and and you know, tighten the stranglehold on Qatar's foreign policy to end the idea that there could be any uh, hub for oppositional politics. Again, you know, regardless of what we might think or say about Qatar's posture uh, generally or maybe what its motivations have been or whatever kind of criticisms one could have of its policies towards some places and not others during the course of the Arab uprisings. But at the very least, I think, you know, having been here for some time and sort of watched people come and go, um, that it, it sort of has positioned itself in some ways as one of the last places where, you know, people could sort of continue to have the same kinds of conversations that they were having in 2011 and 2012 in places where that's no longer possible, to say the least, whether it's because of a resurgent authoritarianism or because of the kind of, you know, horrific, destructive civil wars that we've seen. Um, and I think this is really an attempt to kind of put an end to that once and for all. Um, this is why the, the chief demands really are about closing down a Jazeera. It's about expelling, you know, intellectual scholars, shutting down their institutions. Um, and so this is, in, in many ways, I think, one of the, the possible implications, of course, is that Qatar would cease to be that kind of place. But so far, the response has been that, no, we're not going to yield to this uh, or to capitulate on some of these kind of, you know, big demands. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's that, you know, it, it remains to be seen sort of what kind of role um, some of the other regional players will, will you know, will have, uh, whether it's Turkey, you know, committing troops to come to Qatar to, as a sort of deterrent to any kind of potential use of military force or invasion, um, whether it's the United States, perhaps hoping to extract some of its own concessions and, and at the same time, can, you know, uh, exercise kind of control over the situation because of its own specific interest. I mean, one of the, the completely, uh, I mean, just, you know, outrageous things that one hears, for instance, is that at the time that Trump was tweeting in support of the Saudi-Emirati escalation um, and sort of pointing the fingers at Qatar, um, that he was completely unaware, apparently, that the U.S. had a military base here uh, and that he was informed after the fact. And so, you know, I think MSNBC reported this yesterday. So um, there's, there's also clearly uh, an attempt to take advantage of the kind of um, just rampant ignorance that's taking place at the highest levels of the U.S. government, and it's just complete uh, incompetence in terms of knowing how to deal with a regional crisis. Wow, okay. Uh, well, um, is there, uh, uh, you know, I, I have so much to say, but this is, you know, I, I really hope that we get a chance to sit together. I understand that you might be... Um, coming to Washington soon and I will um, will definitely try to uh, get you into the studio and, and, and speak more at length but before I let you go can you just say something about 
uh, this proximity that uh, now actually seems uh, even more interesting, but this proximity between uh, Qatar and Israel historically, and 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 what what should people make of it? Uh, it's something that uh, that existed even when uh, Qatar was very supportive of uh, Hezbollah in Syria in 2006 when Israel invaded Lebanon. Well, I think, I mean, you know, the, the political scientists probably just refer to this as hedging, right? That you're just attempting to try to play multiple sides so that you don't end up the, the complete loser. Um, I think in Qatar's situation, it's it's a little bit more than that. I think it's, it's a sort of way to insulate yourself against far greater hostility and criticism when you do support the things that you claim are actually the issues that are near and dear to you. Um, again, that could be a much more generous reading, perhaps, but I think that this is the way that they've sort of balanced their attempts to essentially go rogue, so to speak, in their support for, um, you know, different uh, movements around the region that are obviously unpopular, that are obviously on the list of terrorist organizations, that are even within the Arab world are seen as sort of anathema to, to the regional agenda and the hegemony of the sort of Saudi, Emirati, kind of Egyptian, um, you know, you know, view of the region or vision for the region. So I think that in many ways, though, some of those uh, contacts, some of those uh, normalization measures were really part of that. And, and I mean, I've been having this kind of discussion with people who are basically saying, look, they're all essentially in the same boat. But I think there is a distinction to be made between that kind of normalization and then the, the stuff that we've been reading about more recently that's far more high level, um, you know, in terms of intelligence sharing in terms of joint lobbying efforts. And th those are the kinds of things that I don't think we have seen with Qatar. You mean the ones um, with Saudi the way, Arabia? Yes, the way that, the, the, for instance, the UAE and Saudi governments have, have conducted. I don't think we've seen that level of, of sort of, you know, deep coordination on kind of intelligence issues, on technology purchases, large-scale uh, technology purchases, that kind of thing. Um, and of course, the, the kind of very uh, closely coordinated lobbying efforts that we've seen in Washington. So in that sense, um, I think there should be a slightly different reading of that, um, while at the same time still, you know, still worthy of, of criticism and certainly something that should be called, always taken into account when considering um, its policies, that a lot of these tend to be far more uh, realist policies than, than um, perhaps we give credit to, as opposed to simply, you know, someone who's just following a kind of idealized uh, principled position. I don't think we know any states that do that. Well, I I think we're going to have to leave it at that and, and your suspicion that what you said uh, in relation to Qatar uh, being uh, potentially a uh, generalist interpretation is what we're going to accept considering where you're speaking from. So I am very uh, happy that uh, we were able, I was able to catch you and uh, infinitely grateful for staying up until you know, I don't know what time it is, probably like 300 in, in Doha. <laughs> uh, thank you, Abdullah. Thank you very much for for joining us at Status Al-Wada and giving us your uh, time. Happy to do it. And, and we'll be in touch. Sure. Salam. Sounds good. Salam, Habibi. Salam. Yeah, bye.